Morning, team. Oh, I'm exhausted. Do you know, it is very wintry outside. You know, people were phoning up earlier going, oh, I think we've seen snow. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. There's no snow. In fact, when I came in on the news, they said, have you seen any snow? I thought they were joking. <laughs> so I said, no, definitely not. There is no snow out there. It's September, OK? I know we have freak weather conditions, but we don't have snow. But it is chilly. I did nip over the road to the post box. I thought, blah, blah. Do you know, actually quite scary. I walked out, quite brave, I thought, at my time of life, by myself, no security with me or anything like that at all. You know, no, no sunglasses on, you know, open. And, and I, I crossed over the road. And you know when you hear people walking behind you? You're kind of trying to catch a glimpse in a window to see who it is. And I've had that before, you know, and I hate people walking, but it drives me mad. How I get through the streets of London in one piece, I'll never know. But people walking behind me drive me crackers. I'd, I'd rather walk along the side of the wall, I'm afraid. <laughs> anyway, nice to have you company this morning. To have you co- oh, anyway, we've done that before. Uh, so, uh, what are we going to talk about today on the programme? The, the speaking English I quite liked. The government are now saying that uh, if, if you can't speak English and you're going for jobs, then we, we take away your benefits. Because it seems a bit pointless in this country that we are English-speaking. We know we speak lots of other languages, same as they do in other... You know, but if, if you're going into a service industry and you're going into, say, um, I don't know, work in a shop or you're selling coffee, it's quite advantageous to speak English. Because that's the language we speak here. And if you want to order a cup of coffee, all the girls in Starbucks and everybody else, they speak English. In fact, you never hear them speak Polish. Whether they speak it behind the scenes, I don't know. And I've asked before, and we've never managed to get an answer, whether or not the Starbucks policy is that it doesn't matter if you're Polish or whatever, we only want to hear English behind the counter. Because otherwise, it, you know, people could be saying rude things about it. I've got no idea. Somebody could write in and say, oh, you know, say this to you. You think, I better not mention that in case it's a rude word. So you don't do it. But, I mean, the idea that you can go into hospital and people don't speak English, I find... I find a little bit disconcerting. Because you should, shouldn't you? You would expect to go in and go, it hurts here. Okay? It's a bit, it's a bit like Manuel in Faulty Towers. You know, Manuel, put the butter on the trace. Okay? Yes. Butter trace. Okay? Take the cases to the room. Okay? Take the case... Oh, dear, I'll do it myself. So much easier, isn't it? But uh, you should speak English. In that, exactly the same way as if you went to say... Spain, and you've got a job in a hotel or in a bar, they would expect you to speak some Spanish. Because at some point, Spanish people are going to come in there and say, ¿Qué? And then you can go, ¿Qué? And then you can have a great conversation. Hola. You know, and that's, that's how it works. Fantastic. So that's a good story, I think, in the paper today. Uh, plus, uh, we're still suffering with uh, Nancy Delusional on the front page of the paper. She really is a vacuous old bag, I'm afraid. I can't stand her. As they say, an ego the size of a small country, and yet nothing to back it up with. You know, just smoke. I'm sure there's a story there somewhere. Don't you think there's a story somewhere? Don't you want to know why why it was only a, a short last relationship, you know, and Sven? Why did he cheat on her with, you know, so many other women? I mean, you know, come on, you have to ask the question. Is she all there? Or does she say, Sven, take me out, take me out. She wants, yesterday I told you that the, she wanted the BBC to re- Oh, there she thinks she is. I find it very odd. Do you remember yesterday I told you that she sends out for, for champagne... Uh, she expects the BBC... It's, it's a l- rubbish story, of course. I mean, you don't bow down to this woman. She's nothing. And uh, and she wanted a blacked-out taxi. And yet, strange enough, more than happy to flash her knickers at everybody when she's going out to parties. So, quite clearly, a little bit delusional in that state. And really, love, I mean, for 50, are looking rough. You know, yesterday, we had such a busy day. I mean, we really had a busy day. By the time I got in, I'd, I'd, I had no idea what planet I was on. Because we did Will Young yesterday morning... For the uh, for that that remembers me the in conversation, and uh, he had a cold, but he held up really well. He didn't. He doesn't sound 
you know, sniffly or snuffly, nothing at all. Admittedly, we did finish and he did sneeze. But apart from that, he was, he was fine. And, uh, and then after that, we had a little break. And then we did Barbara Taylor Bradford, who is, like, really rich. Really rich. And she was talking about Botox and what Joan Collins had written about in her books. And Barbara's got a new book out uh, with Harper Collins. Strange enough, the, the, the second book... Uh, that I did yesterday, which was from HarperCollins, because the third interview at 11.30, but turned out to be like 20 to 12, was Jermaine Jackson. And Jermaine Jackson has written the definitive book about Michael. And to be honest with you, no stone left unturned in this one. He talks everything. <clears throat> they talk about the... Uh, uh, <coughs> excuse me, the, uh, the child abuse charges. Uh, he talks about the fact that uh, if he'd been found guilty, they were going to take him to Bahrain... And Michael would have happily sort of decamped over there. They talk about the money situation. He talks about everything. He talks about everything in the book. There is nothing that you were... And he said, and he says numerous times, he said, when we went on... And he speaks very softly, very softly. He said, when we went to the internet and we found out what people had written about us, he says, as, as the Jackson Five, he said we couldn't believe it. Because they were obviously a little bit shielded as a group from, from what people were writing about. And now you know there's this bloke in the paper today who writes filth. He's called a, it's called trolling, apparently. I thought trolling was something completely different. But apparently trolling is when you go on the internet and you write things about people. And this piece of pond life has been sent to prison. Not for very long, I hasten to add. But um, he's filth. And they caught him because if you write anything on the internet, gotcha. So as easy as that. And if it's anything that's derogatory, what he was writing was, uh, was bad enough. I've seen worse. I've really seen worse. But nowadays, it's a crime, and they drag you into court. And very successfully, too. Because once you've committed yourself, you know, no matter whether you go, oh, actually, it wasn't me writing, somebody else had access to my computer. Kind of tough, that one. Kind of tough. And so the, the Jacksons discovered all this stuff written about them. So he's written, and it's a big book, with lots of unpublished photographs, and he's done it really. He said, I've, you know, for, for, for us and for the fans, so you know what happened. We're waiting the results of the court case when that gets underway in America over the, uh, the charges against the doctor. And, uh, but he, he went to see Michael in, in a hospital after he, he died, and, uh, and they were then sort of... He said, but it seems to be like a conspiracy campaign to knock Michael Jackson. So he's written this book... For, for the family and for the fans. And it's a big book. Everything you wanted to know about Michael Jackson, it's in this book. There ain't no stone left unturned, let me tell you. And he talks about it quite candidly. Because I was quite... I didn't think he'd want to talk about, you know, Geordie Chandler and why they paid him £15 million. Geordie Chandler was the one who made allegations about, uh, against Michael Jackson. And um, you remember, in the end, they actually paid him money. And he says people asked... Why did Michael pay him £15 million if he wasn't guilty? And he said it was... He said it satisfied everybody. He said it got him off Michael's back. Michael was very keen to... Because Michael really was... Even though he was an adult, he was a child. And it was a case of make it go... Make it go away. Make it go away. In a slightly higher voice. Make it go away. And so they paid Geordie Chandler £15 million to go away. Nothing was ever proven. There was no, there was no case. And people then thought that by paying the 15 million that was a, was an admittance of guilt but it was no such thing at all he said it was just to make him go away mind you there's somebody who they're, they're trying to bring in in another story in the paper today concerning elton john you know that elton has his white tie and tiara ball and they raise huge amounts of money for the elton john aids foundation and uh, in this particular one somebody bid for a day out with elton john and his uh, his husband 
and it was going around to visit all their sort of projects and things like that. And this particular bloke is well known on the party circuit, but quite clearly had had a few too many sherbets. And he bid, how much do you think, for going out with Elton and his, uh, his husband for the day? £700,000. But he hasn't paid it. So Elton's issued a writ. Because, you know, somebody says, yeah, and, uh, yeah, me, me. And he says he might not have been aware of exactly how much he was bidding, but it's, it's all quite legal and above board. It's all done properly. So they've issued a writ in the High Court to this man. And this man's solicitor has responded by saying, you know, we will defend this action. You think, but your client, you weren't there. Your client bid 700,000 pounds. That's a lot of money, isn't it? So even, even if I'd won the lottery last night, and I don't know if anybody won it last night, somebody'd have to tell me and ruin my day. And, um, and you think £700,000. You do get carried away at these auctions. I myself got carried away at, a, at an auction uh, merely a few years back and ended up... I was very excited at the time. I didn't, I didn't know what I was bidding for, actually. I thought it was Chinese objet d'art. And I bid for 150 soup spoons. So I've got a box of 150 faulty, faulty, I hasten to add, soup spoons. And the reason they're faulty is when you put them in the soup bowl, the middle drops out. So I've got... A lot of spoons with holes which are totally useless. Not much use as a spoon at all, but I bought 150 of them. I was, I was quite excited when I picked them up. I only paid a fiver. Nobody else wanted them. Now I know why. Quite clearly, everybody else had picked them up and the middles had fallen out. They're nice. They're made out of china. God, they were a pretty Chinese pattern on there. They're just, just blooming useless as a, as a spoon, I'm afraid. Never mind. Never mind. Oh, the good news is... The good news is that somebody's flown Cheryl Cole out to Afghanistan... Perhaps she'll stay there. <laughs> we could be that lucky. Could we? And the reason we, we've flown her out there is that so she can she can meet the British heroes. Way, eh? Who are you? I mean, I, to be honest with you, that's the last bloody thing you need. Hove it. She's suddenly watched. Last thing you need, hoving over the horizon in camouflage gear. Is she, where is she? She's standing up. Where? Where? She's very small. Very tiny. Cheryl Cole gets flown out there. It's for the Mirror Pride of Britain Awards. And they obviously thought, let's get a bit of coverage. She's not doing anything. She doesn't really have anything to do with her, just uh, too many nails again. Still Welsh. And um, and then she'll sort of, she's flown out to see the troops and she'll have a conversation with them. About what? Do you think she's got the faintest idea about world affairs? Shouldn't think so. Shouldn't think so. And here is this internet bully, Sean Duffy. What a thicko. What a thicko. He mocked a 15-year-old suicide. Uh, her dad said... He's a distorted individual. He claimed to have all sorts of things. Yeah, I'm bipolar. I've got Asperger's. I've got this, that drink problem. You're a very nasty little piece of work, Sean Duffy. And I'm glad you've gone to prison, because you really are uh, are not nice. Not nice. So he's in the paper today. Uh, Sophie Dahl is also in the paper. She's been criticised, because you know that they're, they're trying to save Roald Dahl's shed, and they want half a million pounds. And people are saying, wait a minute, she's loaded. Why can't she pay to save the shed? They want to put it in a Roald Dahl museum. And it's exactly as it was when, when he left it. Everything. His packet of cigarettes. Everything. So they want to lift it, lock, stock and barrel, and put it in a museum. But it's going to cost half a million quid. So they're asking you to, uh, to, to raise some of the money. Which I'm sure you will. Quarter past five. These are the headlines at the TUC Congress in London later. Unions are expected to announce more strikes over the government's pension reforms. It could see the biggest outbreak of industrial unrest for decades, involving civil servants, teachers and lecturers. It's emerged London Fire Brigade were called to a fire every five minutes during last month's riots. 
the brigade attended at least 807 incidents over the four days, describing it as their toughest ever test. And Cheryl Coles reportedly in Afghanistan, helping boost morale as British forces mark 10 years of operations there. The Mirror reports she flew out last night after undergoing hostile environment training. Let's have a check on the uh, roads for you this morning. It's Jay Louise. Thank you very much, Steve. And the A13 East... Steve Allen. Well, anyway, so Cheryl Cole, I had to laugh, was undergoing... Uh, after she flew out, before she flew out, she underwent hostile environment training. She was married to Ashley Cole. She doesn't need to undergo hostile environment training. Living with that nasty little piece of work was more than enough. But you, you have to laugh. Um, one, what, her, her very presence uh, cheered up her fellow air travellers. And um, ahead of the surprise, Cheryl had undergone this hostile environment and she was given tips on how to stay alive if kidnapped. Sing to them, dear. Sing to them. That'll work a treat, I promise you. If you kidnap, sing. They'll release you so fast. It's like uh, we've actually captured Peter Andre. Don't let him sing, please. Anyway, it says here, uh, Cheryl... Well, some of these, these quotes from Cheryl. Cheryl's amazed by the courage of all those serving our country. What? I'm sorry, love. They've been out there for years. Where have you been? Where have you been? Looking after number one, eh? Looking after number one. But anyway, apparently she's going to meet many of the 8,500 British soldiers, sailors and airmen currently serving the most dangerous front line in the world. Today, wait, for, this is Cheryl Cole we're talking here. We're not talking a Prime Minister. Cheryl Cole is due to talk to warriors from the Crack Brigade Renaissance Force, an elite fighting unit specially trained to work deep behind enemy lines. What do you think she'll be talking to them about? It's the way I was in Girls Aloud, and um, not anymore. And uh, you've got to fight, 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 fight. Fake for this country. <laughs> just don't see it, do you? Cheryl Cole, the force's sweetheart. God in heaven. <laughs> just, just can't see it. Perhaps she was wearing a little red outfit. It's just... You have to laugh, don't you? Poor... I know. Look, where ye? Where ye, man? I mean, Afghanistan? Where is it? <laughs> Somebody got lippy. I love the way her hair's looking a bit rough. Or is that not her hair? Difficult to tell with some of these people, isn't it? I mean, look, look at this picture. Now, that, to me, that looks... That, that doesn't quite look like hers. Does um, it? it could be extensions. Could be extensions. But she is in the desert. You know, she's roughing it. Oh, for it. goodness sake, roughing. I mean, I know. It. I've been to Southend. I know what it's like. <laughs> I've sat on the beach. That's roughing it, let me tell you. <laughs> Jackie on the way to work says, What hostile environment for Cheryl Cole? Nowhere to plug in the hair straighteners. <laughs> you have to laugh, don't you? Because what they're trying to do is that they're trying to make her something. Because at the moment, she doesn't have a job. She's sitting there twiddling her thumbs at home. I'm a singer, actress. Not really anything, actually. Not really anything. Lynn says, oh, that's sorted then. Cheryl Cole sings live. Taliban surrenders. <laughs> that would be a good idea. Do you think she does sing? No, she doesn't sing, does she? She's, not, she's going to be talking to them. She'll be sitting down there looking bored, because she generally looks a bit... Even on the television programme, she looks bored. You know, but uh, as I say, we haven't seen her for ages. I'll tell you what we did get yesterday. Oh, God, it was toe-curlingly embarrassing. It really was, I'm sorry to say it was Peter Andre again, this time on uh, Alan Titchmarsh's show. And Peter was plugging... I don't know what you like. I came in halfway through because I, I didn't get back till quite late yesterday. And because uh, I nearly did an eight hour day. Bit of a shock for the system, I have to be honest. I, I haven't. I nearly did as long a day as her next door, but I didn't. I mean, I was, it was close to it. Even people as I was leaving out, Imran said to me, he said, You're not going, are you? I thought, Well, mentally, I went years ago, but physically, the body is still here. And, uh, and so I get in and I sort of. Um, I can't remember what I did when I got it. I was, in, I was all over the place, yes. I was really all over the place because I got in. And if you do three interviews, luckily they, they, they were all spaced a bit. And when I say spaced, I don't mean just Will Young. He was definitely spaced. He was, he was doing serious lemsip. 
you know, and you can get quite carried away on a bit of lemsip. And uh, it was OK, you know, it was nice sort of gaps, and I had some coffee and sort of sat at the desk and stared out the window and thought about, you know, mm. thought about Cheryl Cole meeting the Taliban. That was my stomach, I'm afraid, yeah. Ever since I've, I've stopped having bread, it's all gone to pieces. I nearly succumbed yesterday. I nearly had a piece... I was sitting upstairs for so long, waiting for the interviews, and, and, I, and I kept passing it, and I thought, perhaps I could have a ham and cheese croissant. Like, no! No, do not have a ham and cheese croissant. So I didn't. Anyway, so Peter Andre is on the Alan Titchmarsh show, and he's obviously plugging something. And Pete, you know, he's so cheesy and and, and creepy. He 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 says at the end, you know, Alan goes, "Well, thank you. and he said, "Thank you very much indeed." And and Pete goes because obviously determined to get in his well-used line. Listen, like he says, talking to the audience and the camera. This is one of the good guys. I thought, what? Are you playing Cowboys and Indians or something? I don't know what you're talking about. He goes, I'm t- you know, talking to people, and this is, you know, there's a lot of people in this business, but this is one of the good guys. I'm, oh, shut up, Pete. You sound like a girl's blouse. It's just, you don't need to, to brown those people. You're on the show, you've had your plug, all right? You don't need to then go, oh, by the way, this is one of the good guys. Because he's done it on every show. Every show he's on, he does it, and it's beginning to sound a little bit fake. In fact, actually, like most of the stuff that poor Pete does, it does look a bit fake. Gonna fight, 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 fight for this life. We're gonna fight, fight. Bryn and Annie are back in Southgate after about four months in La Belle France. Good to be home again after the quiet, very sunny solitude of the French countryside. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you both as well. Uh, both at the London Lancaster uh, this Friday because the Water Rats have got a super luncheon for Lord Grade. That's the younger Lord Grade. And uh, so we're very much looking forward to that. They have a website, as you know, the Water Rats. You can Google them. And you can go. It is open to you. And I think they've got a couple of seats left. It's a, you can join a table. There'll be all sorts of very, very interesting people, I promise you. Really, all sorts of, you know, people like Bert Whedon and Bachelors and Bryn and Annie, of course, and me. And loads of people like that. So that's very nice. And also I've got details, well, I should have tomorrow, of the, um, of the show at The Mermaid. I was. Just, I sent a thing yesterday. I was. I was so tired. I sent a thing to uh, to the person I thought was organising it, saying uh, I signed the contract. Blah 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 blah. And then a friend of mine writes back and says, "You've just told me you've signed the contract. What contract? I sent it to the wrong person. Stupid of mine." And uh, so I'll have details tomorrow. Of uh, well, I can tell you when it is. It's just not confirmed. It's the third of December. Third of December at the Moy Maid Theatre, and it's two thirty, which sounds like a Chinese dentist. 2.30. Thank you. This morning on Nick Ferrari, as he discusses the day's top stories, from 7 he'll be discussing Ed Miliband's frosty reception at the TUC Congress and asking if heckling a politician has ever achieved anything. He'll also speak to the chairman of the London Fire Authority, that's Brian Coleman, about the fire brigade's response to the riots. Later in the show, asking how inflation rises are affecting you. Have you noticed a hike in the household bills? Are you hunting out the bargains? Perhaps your savings are going down and you're enduring a pay freeze. You can tune to Nick Ferrari this morning to share your stories and opinions and get all the day's top news. That's from 7am. For the meantime, you're kind of stuck with me, I'm afraid, till 7 o'clock. I'm Steve Allen. No more apologies. We're going to fight, fight, fight. Love the idea of Cheryl Cole. So, uh, come on, lads, we're going... Oh, Cheryl Cole's here. Hello, love. How are you? Way, eh? And that'll be it. Uh, so, anyway, uh, poor old Bryn is suffering with uh, aches and pains in his back and leg. He's got a trapped nerve, which I've now ever... Oh, God, I know how you feel. I've had a bad neck. Ba- he is going to see a physio about it next week. I keep meaning to do that. I keep meaning to do that. Occasionally I take this, this diclofenic, which sort of eases it. But I must have... I've either sort of twisted it, or perhaps I've got a trap... No, I don't know what it is. It's, it's, it's a bit of a pain. Oh, we've got another in conversation to do today, and uh, one tomorrow, and one on Friday. In fact, we've got one every day of the week. I'm so happy. And uh, today, 
Might have two on Monday. Good Lord, honestly, heavens above. We better run them back to back over Christmas, these things. There'll be so many of them. So, um, who have we got today? Today we've got Biggins. And then tomorrow... That's going to be quite, quite tiring all round, we've decided. That'll be, that'll be very easy. Actually, mind you, with Barbara Taylor Bradford, I never had to say anything. She loves talking. She, I hardly say anything. You listen. She looks amazing. She does. She's very successful. Her apartment's great. Go to her website. Go to her website, and it's re- the apartment is really nice. But she's got two, two, two dogs uh, on the website. And you've got one now. I had to have one put to S-L-E-E-P. And, um, but she was really lovely. Really, really lovely. And then, so, Biggins today, Alan Titchmarsh tomorrow. And, and possibly, we're not sure about uh, whether or not on Friday, Gary Oldman. And then, I don't know what's happening on Monday. We haven't, we haven't quite opened the diary page as far as that. There's sort of a couple of things in on Monday. We're just waiting for the, uh, the confirmation. Just, the programme is just so popular now. People just cannot get enough of it. They go, Steve, I'll do that. Steve Allen, yep. You get the PRs coming in now. Sort of going, I listen to you, I listen to you. Which is always quite nice, actually. Martin Luther King, a sex pest. Bet you never thought you'd hear that, did you? Martin Luther King, a sex pest. Where has this come from? This is the book that is sweeping America. These are the FBI notes passed on by J. Edgar Hoover, who had his office bugged and his phone bugged, passed on to Jackie Kennedy who claimed she was on the receiving end of his womanising. The, the tapes, apparently, are absolutely mind-blowing. Because the FBI were determined to get something on Martin Luther King. Jackie Kennedy uh, claimed he was a sex pest and a terrible person. This was after the I Have a Dream speech. And uh, now it's absolutely... She says he was drunk at JFK's funeral and made fun of the Cardinal's Mass. This, this book has blown America wide apart because, really, nobody ever thought that Jackie Kennedy would say boo to a goose. Well, she's got opinions on everybody. All these notes that came over... I mean, she, she talks about the, uh, the Cuban missile. Uh, the, these tapes kept under locking... 47 years these tapes have been uh, hidden. And now they've, uh, they've taken them out and they've got the surveillance tapes uh, made by Edgar Hoover. Now, some of those are still under court order until 2027. At which point, I don't think I'll be around for it. So if somebody can just sort of let me know later, you know, what they're likely to contain. But uh, it's a seven-part series, which is airing on American television this week. You remember, of course, Jackie Kennedy went on to marry Aristotle Onassis. He wanted to marry her for the simple reason that he needed the credibility the fact that he was a billionaire and she was poor as a church mouse, because the Kennedy family never gave her anything. She never had any money, and people automatically thought that she was loaded, but she wasn't. And there was a very good book written by Jacqueline Suzanne, which was uh, based loosely, if you read between the lines, you don't need to read too much, it's about a woman who marries the man who becomes president of the United States, he gets assassinated, and she marries a billionaire. And he gives her everything except love. No love. Nothing like that at all, just the money, which is something she'd never had. And then, of course, you know, when, when she died of cancer, the rest is history. More on that after the news on LBC 97.3. It's 5.30. Morning. So this series about Jackie Kennedy, her verdict on all sorts of people, is airing on American television this week. I think it's a seven-parter. Can't wait to see that one. Can't wait to see it. But, um... 
it's, it's released, or the taped interviews with her are released because it's the 50th anniversary of her husband becoming American president. But it was, it was all to do, and the whole Jackie Kennedy thing was amazing because the person who ran the Kennedys was Rose. Rose lived to a great, great old age. And if you look at the family, they were blighted with tragedy and embarrassments and all sorts of problems. I mean, you know, it literally ran through. But they, but they were, I suppose, in American terms, they were the equivalent of our royal family. So equally as dysfunctional, as it were. And um, so, I mean, I found her quite fascinating, but I always knew that there was no money because the, uh, the Kennedys didn't like to flash their money around. They were, they were old money, and they just didn't do things like that. So in the book by Jacqueline Suzanne, uh, who also wrote some very... She wrote Valley of the Dolls and Not Tonight, Josephine, or Josephine, I think, and The Beauty Queen, which was based... The Beauty Queen, I think. Was that, was that the book? Or one of them. There was a very interesting one. There used to be a woman in America called Anita Bryant. And Anita Bryant used to advertise orange juice on the television. She was very famous for orange juice. And then, unfortunately, the poor woman lost her marbles... And she decided that uh, that God didn't like homosexuals. So she had T-shirts printed and her supporters with, written on the front of the T-shirt, pardon my language, Killer Queer for Christ. And Anita Bryant became, overnight, the most reviled woman, next to the Kardashians, on American television. Absolutely lo- killed her career, stone dead. Everybody reviled this woman. She was so awful. Anyway, that's just, that's just by the by. But then you look at poor Jackie Kennedy, wanted to go out, didn't really have the money to do it, so spent most of the time just sitting in. So when Aristotle Onassis, hugely unattractive man, but loads of money, like a billionaire, and he was in shipping, and he was worth so much money, and he, he said, I'll, I'll marry you. She really... I mean, everybody in America then went off her. Because what she'd done is she'd gone to marry somebody from somewhere else. And it was quite clearly a financial decision. And to be honest with you, in the the book, based very loosely on this mythical person that Jacqueline Suzanne wrote about, on the wedding night, she sort of is bracing herself for the onslaught of this little man. But he's very, very rich and he's paid for everything and flown people in. They've all been given diamonds and Cartier watches and racehorses and cars. It it was just a vulgar display of wealth, but for somebody who was immensely wealthy. And um, and on the wedding night, she's sort of of there in the bedroom and her niggly giggly thing. And he, he comes in the book to the bedroom. And uh, and, he st- and so she goes, um, where, where are you going? He said, I'm going to see my mistress. And so she went, go to see your mistress? He said, yes. He said, I didn't marry you for love. He said, I married you for status. And of course, in real ni- life, Aristotle Onassis's uh, mistress was Maria Callas. And so he wasn't remotely interested in, uh, in anything with, with Jackie Kennedy, apart from the status to marry a dead president's widow was, was, was sort of something that was good for him. And, of course, the rest... Because otherwise, we probably wouldn't have heard of Aristotle Onassis. And yet you talk about him now. Christina, of course, uh, also dead. But their daughter is, has inherited all this money. This, this money. Strangely enough, actually, talking about money, because you know that we were, we were discussing the other week on the programme the, uh, the Eccleston girls and their vulgar display of money and uh, how cheap they make themselves look. Strangely enough... Uh, it's talked about today in um, Jane Moore's column. And she says exactly what we said on the programme last week. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's vulgar. It's not oh, a Daily Star. Blimey, I don't know if I picked that up in place of the sun. It's only because it looks very similar on the front page. Um, and she was talking about it and saying this, this vulgar 
display of wealth. She says here, Tamara Eccleston has sent five minions to the Amazonian jungle to collect crystals, which will then be buffed and honed to make a million-pound bathtub. She trills, I spend a lot of time in the bath, so it's worth it. Yes, love, of course it is, says Jane Moore. Her usual <laughs> sarky manner. Tamara, for those in blissful ignorance, is the daughter of Formula One billionaire a not-very-tall person, Bernie Eccleston, a working-class boy made good, who, you might hope, would teach his kids the value of earning their own money. But no, Tamara, 27, and her 22-year-old sister, Petra, have multi-millions at their disposal, while seemingly never having done a day's hard graft between them. In the boom years, spending such a vast amount on a mere bath would have been distasteful. But during a recession, when millions of hard-working people are struggling to put food on the table, it's nothing short of obscene. Which is exactly what we said. Vulgar, cheap, tacky. That's Tamara Eccleston and Petra. Multi-millions, never done a day's work in their life. Never actually done it. Daddy's done the whole lot. Working class boy, oh, mate, oh, a bit of racing car, no, run, drive around the track, guys. You know, and just hands it on to the daughters, who are very beautiful, but so you should be with that amount of money. But uh, unfortunately, the rest of it, it is just tacky and disgusting, I'm afraid. A little bit like um, Gaddafi's son. This is uh, Sadie Gaddafi. Uh, here, uh, as the regime of Gaddafi crumbled, son Saeed binged on booze, drugs, prostitutes and porn in their £11 million London mansion. And uh, they've got the story. He's an ugly bloke. He really is, actually, poor soul. Can't help it. Probably inherits it from his father, but there you go. And, um, you know, that's what these people do. It's always the the kids, isn't it, of sort of people who are, you know, rich or tyrants or despots or whatever they happen to be, and they go off the rails. They come over here, you know, Edgware Road, awash with prostitutes. Awash with prostitutes. You cannot move. All over the place. Every phone booth, strangely enough, has got... Oh, well, I'll tell you the other thing I noticed the other day. Is it... And I'm, I wasn't sure whether it's happened. Have they closed all the HMV shops? Have all the HMV shops gone now? Because the one in Richmond went the other day. I think the one up at Piccadilly Circus, I'll have to check later when I walk up there. Um, I think that's closed. And the, the one in Richmond's going to become um, a clothes shop. I think it's River Island. Uh, it's quite a big shop, because nowadays, and the, and the only reason I happen to mention it, is because I remember, as I walked past, thinking, they've kept that one pretty quiet. I knew they were closing some of the shops to try and rein back in again. The, the problem with HMV, I always found, is that most people now want to order online. Sometimes it's nice to go and look at a cover, but you can go to Amazon or Play.com or any one of a number of websites that sell DVDs, and you can get them much cheaper. It's nice to go to you know, something like HMV and have a wander down and look through all the, you know, the racks. Of it. But the trouble is, there's so much of it, I've got no idea where to begin. So I sort of start comedy, then I go to new DVD, and I've never heard of half the new DVDs coming out. So I, I kind of leave it, and then I go back home, and I, I sort of log on to Amazon or whatever, buy a film, and then it goes, people who bought this also bought this. And I found that quite useful. And then it says, by the way, you've already bought this twice before, you buffoon. How many copies of it do you need? Because I can't remember half the time. I really cannot remember what I've been buying. 84850-steve-at-lbc.co.uk. Are you noticed, have you had to rein in, talking of spending, which Nick will be doing a little bit later on this morning, have you noticed that everything's gone up in price, except the money that you're paid and the money you end up with in your pocket? Have you cut back on things? Have you had to sort of say, well, I tell you what, I'll, I'll cut back on smoking, or I'll cut back on drinking, or I'll cut back on eating out? A lot of people now don't eat out as often as they used to. I used to eat out probably four nights a week. Four nights a week. I mean, I could, I could rack up bills like there's no tomorrow in Joe Allen's, mainly because of booze and stuff like that. But um, 
Four nights a week, I, I would eat out. Maybe because it was easy. Now, it's quite an expensive thing. They did a review on a restaurant in Chiswick the other day in one of the papers. I think it... I forget which paper it was. But it was a dreadful review. It really was ghastly. And including wine for two people, the bill in Chiswick, if you please, £240. Well, pfft, You know where that can go, don't you? You know, you'd have to be a fool to spend that kind of money on food. And apparently, especially as the portions were so tiny... I thought we'd done away with this nouvelle cuisine. You know, nouvelle being, where is the... F- Hello, where's the food? It's hidden under that radish or under a lettuce leaf. They would put it on there to a pretty pattern. Don't put pretty pattern. Just put the food on the plate, right? Oh, it is on the plate, is it? Where? Oh, hidden under the pattern. And that's what nouvelle cuisine was. You know, you get little tiny things. They said this must be the only place where the main course was three mouthfuls, and that was it. What a rip-off. What a rip-off. Actually, who was voting yesterday? at the uh, the TV Choice Awards in London. Uh, best actor uh, was um, Jessie Wallace. She was named Best Soap Actress, really. Thought she was just playing herself, frankly. And uh, Shane Ritchie was Best Soap Actor for Alfie Moon. I feel like I'm, this is a rerun, don't you? You don't feel you've read this before. Was this a few years ago? Uh, Paula Lane was named Best Soap Newcomer for playing Corrie's Kylie Platt. Sorry, Tom, we don't know who you are. Got no idea. Um... EastEnders actress Shona McGarty sizzled in a revealing frock. And um, Corrie's Catherine Kelly uh, wore sexy leather. Doctor Who's Karen Gillan won the Best Actress Gong. And also there was um, that um, Adele Silver, who was in... Well, she's not even in a soap anymore. She's not even in it. Well, she was in, in Emmerdale briefly, and then uh, she's disappeared out there, which is not so good. And then what did I watch the other day? Oh, that's right. There's a piece in the paper today. Apparently, two of the loose women, Carol McGiffin, was out with uh, Denise Welsh, filming, they say, for The Only Way is Essex. And uh, they ended up in a limousine with that very camp thing, and that Harry, whatever his name is, uh, who doesn't appear to have a, a, a job at all, doesn't appear to do anything apart from mince around and uh, not do it very convincingly. But they were out there, and apparently they were the worst for wear. You surprised me. Denise Welsh drinking. I'd never believed that, actually. You know, she's dyed her hair a different colour. Still the same old drunk underneath it, though, isn't it? Off she goes out there, embarrassing herself and everybody else. Bit of a shame. Um, Daily Star today. What rubbish stories do they have for you? Answer, absolutely loads. Oh, a lovely picture, because they do like Imogen Thomas. Uh, Imogen was attempting to pole dance. I don't think it was a pole made, dear, that can hold you. But uh, there it is. And apparently Big Brother's still going. Anybody watching it? Nope, didn't think so. Did not think so at all, I'm afraid. Uh, Kerry Katona. Oh, darling, what, what are you going to do now? I suppose wait for another reality show, but you've done most of them, haven't you? Do you think now it maybe is the time, Kerry, to actually get a job? You remember that thing? Get a job? That'd be good, wouldn't it? Cheryl Cole, they say, is, uh, is in talks to make a return to the X Factor. God knows why. She's got no qualifications for it at all. And, um, I don't know, Justin Bieber, Lenny Kravitz. Load of people you're not interested in. And, um... Turn the page and still a load of people you're not interested in. Oh, it's a nice picture of uh, Amanda Holden cheering up a poorly car crash patient. I think actually it should be the other way around. Poor old Matt, Matt Lucas, has, uh, has gone into hospital with an ear infection. He's out now, he's, he's dosed up, but he's had an ear infection. And they've got a picture of these uh, four members of the same travelling family, although they appear not to travel very far, these ones. Uh, appearing in court on slavery offences. They're an attractive bunch, aren't they? Here are the wanted. They're going to take their new pal, Justin Bieber, to see Man United. 
Seems quite a good idea. Gary Barlow. One Direction will surprise doubters with songsmith Ed Sheeran. No, the only thing that One, one Direction can surprise us with is if they can sing. Which, at the moment, it doesn't look very likely at all, I'm afraid. And uh, here's lovely Melanie C. I've just realised, actually, we've got... There's all sorts of people we've, we've, we've sort of recorded for In Conversation. The, t- the time we get to the end of this month, we're going to have so many sitting in the can, we, we'll be able to take a holiday. Better take a day off, but uh, as I say, yesterday it was very good. Uh, and there's a hooker in the paper today who charged Toys R Us boss uh, £20,000 a week, has been ordered to pay back almost £2 million. She was claiming that he was paying £2 million a week. Dawn Dunbar lived a life of luxury. She's got two children, and uh, she received £1.7 million in cash and cars, including a Bentley from him. Dear me, how embarrassing. I have to admit to your children you're a prostitute. God, it's like saying you eat bread, isn't it? Oh, God, don't do that to me. Don't do that. Um, nearest shopping centre, says Delia, is Lewisham. The number of shops there where you can find workers who understand and speak English is shrinking rapidly. When I went to buy shower curtain rings in one shop and brick filler in another, I needed an interpreter. What's brick filler? Brick filler? What's brick filler? Fills brick. I don't know. I've never heard of that. Shower curtain rings. Actually, I thought you just went into somewhere like B&Q and went shower curtain rings and picked them up. I get that. She says, um, it's not unusual. I bought them in Ramsgate in the end as they speak English there. Uh, Phil says the HMV shop in Oxford Street was still open. Uh, yeah, I said the one at Piccadilly Circus. It's just up from here. And I think that's closed. HMV Bromley shop still trading. Bought a DVD there yesterday, says Gary. Well, there you go. I always, I, I use um, a price checker to find out the cheapest place because it's, I mean, it's not that I mean... But to be honest with you, I mean, I remember going to HMV once. They had a box set at 90 quid. I got the same thing on Amazon for 37. So that's a lot of difference. 14 to 6. These are the headlines you're waking up to. This winter could see the biggest outbreak of industrial unrest for decades. At a TUC Congress in London later, unions are expected to announce more strikes over the government's pension reforms. The new Met Police Commissioners delivered a mission statement to his force. Bernard Hogan Howe has promised to cut crime and costs with humility, transparency and integrity. And it's emerged London Fire Brigade say they were called to a fire every five minutes during last month's riots. The brigade attended at least 807 incidents over the four days. Check on the uh, roads for you this morning. Let's make sure you get there in one piece. Jay Louise. Thank you, Steve. Good morning. A13 East in... Steve Allen. Morning, every uh, 12 minutes to six. You and John watching, says Chris in Newcastle. Uh, showboaters, which started at 8pm on Sky One last night, has been described as the deck factor. The show features ten wannabes, hoping to win a prize as the star turn on a major cruise ship. Each week, they have to perform various tasks, and there are a few characters you may love to hate. My ex-partner is a contestant, Carl Mullen, and actually comes across quite well, but the producers seem to have homed in on his weight issues. And Chris in Newcastle is the one who went blind last year, you remember. OK? So, I haven't seen it. I'll tell you for what, I don't have Sky. I must be the only person in the universe who doesn't have Sky. I've just, I've got five channels, well, plus I've got my, my Freeview ones, and, uh, and thousands of DVDs, which seem to keep me happy. I bought, I've got two more this morning, because every morning I walk uh, down here, and as I go past Pret-a-Manger, there is a huge statue, and the statue is of Nurse Edith Cavell, who was shot at dawn by the Germans. Uh, she was somebody who helped a lot of people escape from the Nazis, and when they caught her, the Germans decided they were going to make an example of her, so she was executed, and uh, she was in prison to start with. It happened very quickly, very, very quickly. And to to be honest with you, I I wasn't sure how many women had been shot at dawn during the war, and I was reading about it this morning because the, um, 
the parson, the German parson, who'd been assigned to her, said, listen, you know, would you like me to be with you uh, at the end? And she said, well, when when is this going to happen? Thinking that there was some process that they had to go through. And he said, tomorrow morning. He said, and then I notice a little tear in her eye. When somebody tells you something like that, and you or I will never know what, what that feeling is. And um, he said, but she was very composed. And he managed to find an English vicar who would come along and be with her at the execution. And so on the following morning, uh, she got up. He said he went, uh, went to, the, to her cell and she had some, some faded flowers in there. She packed her bag, everything. She was very neat, very tidy, very methodical. And uh, he accompanied her downstairs. And she was taken in a car to the place of execution where there were 250 soldiers lined up. And um, the, the priest was with her and they did a prayer and they the sort of announced that they were going to execute her. And she was shot. She was blindfolded, tied to a post very loosely because it wasn't exactly going to go anywhere. And blindfolded, and then six shots rang out, and uh, and that was the end of Nurse Nurse Edith Cavell. And so I had to buy the film because I I sure I've got it somewhere in my collection, but I think it's on video. So every day when I walk down to Trafalgar Square, I pass her statue, and and I'm always reminded of what a brave soul she must have been and the good work she did. And that's why there'll be a lot of people who have got no idea who she is. But you'll go and check her out on Google now because that's why she's got a statue to her because uh, she was a heroine. Uh, Abdullah says, first time listening live, as I usually podcast. Have to be up at eight for college, but I can't sleep. Nothing worse, is there, than you can't sleep. Trifle, isn't it, you can't sleep? Mm. It's a nice little poncho you're wearing this morning, dear. It's very Thank nice. you. Nice. I get a lot of compliments about this. I, 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 I couldn't possibly comment. No, it's, it's lovely. It's not a poncho, it's a cardigan. Oh, it's a... C- oh, right. Yes. I just imagine, on the front of the knitting pattern, was there a little Mexican boy with a hat, <laughs> with his head down like that? Maybe, you know. That's with a cheroot. <laughs> a cheroot. I don't know what a cheroot is. It's like a cigar, isn't it? We all went R in the papers today. And we went R yesterday because of some lovely pictures of little puppies asleep. And when you look at them, you go, oh, dear, they're just so cute. And then you think they grow. And there's one, uh, it's on a US website. Uh, it's called Upha, U-P-H-A-A, which collects unusual photographs. And they've got a whole litter of puppies sleeping in a conga line, that, which are absolutely gorgeous. And they've got one little puppy, and you just think, oh, you so want to go out and get a puppy, don't you? You so want to get a puppy. And another little one, which is just, which is clutching the teddy bear, which everybody's going, oh, so cute. Let sleeping dogs lie, they say. Very, very sweet. Very, very sweet indeed. Uh, Right, Trevor says, so Cheryl Cole has gone to Afghanistan to lift the morale of the troops. One can only conclude that they've sent her to meet the Taliban. That would really give the boys a boost. They, I think what they do is pick somebody, because they've never sent her before. So quite clearly they were going, who should we send? Who can we get some publicity out of? Oh, I know. I know. Uh, let's send them Cheryl Cole or anybody else who's not working at the moment. Uh, the eviction storm travellers building housing estates. As the battle looms over the Dale Farm site, it turns out that a builder living there is secretly backing a lavish 33-home property development. Michael uh, Quilligan, son of a traveller worth £24 million, is among the 96 families who are building this site in a place called, I think it's Rathkeel in the west of Ireland. And uh, they're building these very expensive houses. So far from, oh, we've got nowhere to go, poor, poor us, they've got loads of places to go, let me tell you. And in court, the four members of the Irish traveller clan 
charged with keeping vulnerable men as slaves. Most of the, uh, the families, their families turned up and were shouting at the judge, who's going to look after the children? Well, <laughs> you, I should imagine. You know, I don't want to sort of state the patently obvious on this thing. It's a very, very strange case. Very strange. Uh, 84850, stevedlbc.co.uk. Uh, I more than agree with you, says Paul. I like that. Somebody wrote to me yesterday and said, I listen to your programme every day. Don't always agree. I thought, well, I mean, really, that'd be, that'd be, I'd be like the almighty if, uh, if, if people agreed with me all the time. He says, but my best friend is Muslim, and for various reasons, his mum can only speak a few words of English. He's lost count of the number of days he has to take off work to take her for hospital appointments and the like. He's tried to take her for English lessons, but she won't go. I now think, sadly, the only answer is to make English compulsory. The bottom line to be, if you don't learn it, you're not going to get the benefits or treated. Because, I mean, we had somebody... Uh, let me just tell you that he used to run in, in Twickenham a chicken shop. You know, one of these cheap, tacky stuff that came from Thailand. I know, because we used to see the boxes. And uh, it, was, it was... Anyway, for, for, for reasons best known to himself, he had to offload the business because he wasn't doing any business at all. But anyway, uh, at one point, the police were called... And he then claimed he couldn't speak a word of English. So, at vast expense, they had to bring in uh, an interpreter, a translator. And yet, he spoke perfect English. Perfect English. He had to do He was selling chicken every day. He was just one of these people who was a, a liar, a bit of a crook as well at the same time. He says, do hope the in-conversation with Gary comes off. Love his films. But I think I'll find it hard to swallow him in the George Smiley role, as he's so associated with Alec Guinness. Ha-ha! Uh, as for Cheryl, don't you think the troops have done enough for the country without being lumbered with her? Please God, she doesn't sing. Mind you, the only plus side is that Mitch Winehouse isn't over there as her support act. Just an idea. If I'm lucky enough to have a child this year and it's a boy, I'm taking Victoria's lead and calling him Brew 10. Brew 10. HMV's still going. Lots of brasses being shut, but many, many being remodelled. Think its days are numbered, though. I think so, too. I mean, much as I like going out to shops, we do spend so much time. I mean, you... you you can tell me if, uh, if you think I'm wrong, but I thought most people order online now. For Christmas, I, all, I order online. Most of the stuff that I buy comes online, and, and I get it delivered, and then I take it home and wrap it. Or failing that, if it's something from uh, Lakeland, plastics, I get it delivered to the recipient. My brother likes sweets at Christmas. It's fatal, really, because I end up ordering tonnes of stuff. The time I get there, it's all gone. It's, he, he cannot resist... Eating sweeties. So this year will be no different. I shall order sweets, have them sent down in various boxes, and that covers him for the for the Christmas period. I should really actually just send vouchers, shouldn't I? I've decided. Perhaps it's a terrible way of sending sweets, but I love going through catalogues and looking at all the different sweets and then going, I think I'll send that down. I think I'll send that down. 84850, uk. Um, you mentioned Anita Bryant. Have you seen her website? Just as awful and tacky as she appears to be in real life. The rubbish... She spouts uh, Stephen in Liverpool. Oh, yeah, she's a vile person. I mean, she really is disgusting. If ever there was somebody disgusting, she's it. Uh, Kaylee listens every day. Don't always get the chance to listen live, but I've got the flu. Didn't get it from me or from Will Young. Uh, wish my granddad Colin a happy birthday, because I know he'll be listening. Granddad Colin. You must be a very young granddad if your name's Colin, because that's a very young name, isn't it? Very young name. Grandad Colin. So, happy birthday today. Uh, better off without Sky, says David in Glasgow. Oh, blimey, everybody's up this morning, aren't they? He says, uh, hundreds of channels, but bugger all on all of them. Great programme. Enjoy listening every morning. But it's cold up where you are. Do you know, I, I, could, I, could do, I could do Glasgow at the moment. I could get in the car. I could drive to Glasgow. I've got this thing about standing on out on the wild and windy moors and, and sort of stand there 
That's not, I know, but I'm just doing that. It's the only song that goes in with Wild Windy Moors. I can't think of anything, unless you know another song about Wild Windy Moors. Yeah, Google it. There aren't any other songs. It's only, out on the wild, windy moors, we won't, Heathcliff. <clears throat> My God, drinking first thing in the morning kind of gets you anyway. Here's a picture of the call girl who charges £20,000 a week, and the judge goes, you're not serious, are you? He says, I could understand, you know, £100 a time, £500 a time, not £20,000 a week, especially when you see a picture of self-confessed prostitute Dawn Dunbar at her Oxfordshire home when the uh, when the uh, the papers turned up and uh, and, sh- and they went... Like that, she opened the door, and she said, I'm in shock, and she slammed the door again. <laughs> Luckily, they've got a picture of your poppets just before you slam the door, so you're in the, you're in the papers today. So there you go. Uh, she also got £132,000 Bentley from this man, who was, who was fiddling it. And so, because it was fiddled money, uh, they won it back. Quite rightly so. And so, uh, she, she got all sorts of stuff. She got a plot of land, she got a Lexus car, but £20,000 a week. I think the truth of the matter is, she had all this money... And they wanted to get it back. So she was sort of saying, well, listen, I was earning £20,000 a week as a prostitute. Well, I, no prostitutes earn £20,000. I don't think so. Although, strange enough, the producer of uh, Nick Majerison was telling me that the cheapest prostitute was discovered in Liverpool, where the, where the basic service was 90 pence. 90 pence? What, what value, ladies and gentlemen? Change from a pound. We were quite excited by that. Quite excited. OK, what we'll do, we'll, we'll take a short uh, break for the news at six o'clock this morning. And uh, we're going to play you a little clip of the Prime Minister talking yesterday. Uh, I'd love to know if your standard of living has gone down. Because people are saying at the moment, because household bills are going up and every time another one comes in, you go, I'm sure it wasn't that last year. So do you hunt out the bargains? Do you really look after the pennies now? You can, you can tell me in strictest confidence on steve at lbc.co.uk or 84850. Nick and the team will be with you just after the news at 7 o'clock. This morning we'll run through a little bit later exactly what he's going to be talking about and who his guests in the studio will be. All of that after the news at 6 o'clock this Wednesday morning, September the 14th, 2011. It's Steve Allen's early breakfast and it's, it's nice to have your company. Morning, everybody. Nice to have your company. So the government have said, learn English or lose your benefits. It's as simple as that. If you're jobless, you've got to learn English. We're not going to just hand money out, will it? It's about time. I wish they'd stop talking about this and actually do it. Although there's a lot of people listening probably going, wait a minute, I don't speak very good English. Well, actually, you won't be understanding this programme, will you, really? So there's no point. So you either learn English or we take, take the benefits away. So I don't know whether... I mean, you can get English lessons. I don't know whether they're going to offer English lessons... So, I mean, if, if somebody's going to pay for your English lessons, that's OK. But they say, you know, if you want them, you should better speak English and learn English properly. But then there are lots of parents who come over, aren't there, Jonathan Levi, whose, you know, their daughters or family relations, and they might have come in from, I don't know, wherever it happens to be, and they're, they're 70s or something. They're not going to learn English, are they? No. Well, I suppose there's coming here and living here for a bit, and then there's becoming a full citizen here. And if you're a full citizen, you have to do that citizen test, don't you? And that's quite complicated, and doesn't that require being able to speak English and, and so on? <laughs> because Sorry. you have to, you have, you have to. That citizen I've just showed a matter of a very funny picture. <laughs> that citizen in the bar. test. That citizen, <laughs> t- that citizen test is yeah. complicated, isn't it? Yes, yes, yes. But that's difficult. But then you have to do it in America, you know. And to be honest with you, I mean, I, I, I find it hilarious that we offer benefits anyway to people, people for doing absolutely diddly squat. If somebody comes to the country, great. But then you have to say, excuse me, what, what, what can you offer, and what are you bringing? 
Yeah. Well, that's what happens in Australia, isn't it? Exactly. We know that from a place in the sun. You have to have points. Yes. You have to accrue points. Over here, you you end up with a house that quite clearly many of them are are cheating and fiddling because it's so easy to do. A lot of them pretend to split up. So you get two houses, one of which they then rent out so they can coin it that. I mean, it's it's so lax, the security. The government reckon that there's more than... Pretending to split up is a big scam, isn't it? Yes, huge one. Huge one. I know that because uh, I've met various other people before and I know the police have admitted it's a problem. And the benefits office. So a couple will arrive with eight children, whatever it happens to be, yeah. and then they they pretend that they're, they're not together anymore. Yeah. Which of course is a pack of lies in ninety percent of cases. House and each. House each. House mm. each. And then they, they appear to be going out spending. Mm. And and where this money comes from, you know, you think she's like, how much are you getting? Yeah. And I think you should learn to speak English. I mean, I just find it un- unbelievable. And now we even send benefits back to other people's countries. Yeah. So, in other words, if if you're Polish, I think we will we will arrange to send you. Be- so, in fact, you could keep it going for years. You never have to change your circumstances because they're too stupid here to realise. By contrast, it's very difficult for us to get, say, American citizenship or to anything. I mean, you know, the yeah. hoops you have to jump through yes. in order to um, get a green card and then you know, you know, a full U.S. passport or whatever. Can you imagine it's turning up in America and going, oh, right? Um, I get my house when, and the benefits start when, and they go they just laugh at you. Know, you don't get them. Yeah. I mean, does yeah, anybody but... else hand out benefits like we do? Uh, probably the Scandinavians. You think they, they do as well? They've got loads of money, haven't they? Yeah. But they're only small countries, aren't they? I mean, we're, we're, we're also a small, small country, but we seem to be handing out money left, right and centre to most people who are, who are, who are fraudsters. Right. A uh, picture of Vic Beckham in the paper today, which is the same one the other day. And people saying, wearing these stupid heels, dear... And carrying a child is absolutely ridiculous. They've said here it's not just plain vain, but plain dangerous. She can't walk at the best of times, Vic, and she's holding a child. Put it in a pram, dear. Stop being so silly. You don't need to show off like this, not you at all. Goodness sake, honestly. Uh, New research, Jonathan, has revealed widespread public opposition to setting a minimum price on alcohol. The study by Alcohol Research UK has found most people are sceptical that banning cheap sales will stop excessive drinking. Now, I would love to hear from you. Do you think a minimum price on alcohol will cut binge drinking and antisocial behaviour? 84850, LBC 973. Do you think if, if we were... Redu- I mean, I don't think it will. I don't think it will make any difference. Unless you made it so massively expensive that it was completely impossible. Trouble is, with petrol, with cigarettes, with alcohol, for, you know, f- things that feel to a lot of people like, un- like necessities, yeah. they'll just fork out. They have to. Yes. If you're addicted to cigarettes, you just fork out. You grumble at how much it costs, but then you go abroad and you make sure you st- you buy more cigarettes yes. and people smuggle them back, don't they? They bring back far more cigarettes than they're meant to bring back because they're much cheaper overseas than they are here. And same with alcohol and so on. You can go to France and buy loads of alcohol in Calais, yes. can't you? Yes. So the fact is, is that, that that kind of thing... We live in a bigger world than that, don't we? We live in a bigger world than just being able to go down to your local... Londis or Tesco's and, and buy Londis. buy booze. God. I mean, you can bring booze back, yeah. or you know, there, there's all sorts. Well, of they ways do the booze to... cruises. But exactly. People sort of, as you say, go to France. They go, oh, look at this wine. It's only fifty p a bottle. So that's not going to apply to this no. price fix, is it? So I don't think it's going to stop people drinking because no. I think. I mean, there are some people. I, I remember seeing one of these ghastly programs on the television, which was where they take two, uh, let's just call them unruly, stupid children, and they took them to America. And they tried to teach the girl, who was quite clearly, you know, her, she'd run riot through her mother and everything else. And she gets put with a policeman and his family in this little village in somewhere like Tennessee. Is this the world's strictest parents? I think it might be. 
but he has a big family, yep. and she just doesn't want to do anything. I'm not doing that. And in the end, he says, you will do this. I'm telling you you're doing it now. And I'm thinking, are you just stupid, or are you just playing up for the cameras? In the end, she says, well, I'm going. I'm packing my things. I'm going. So she packs a bag. Well, him being a policeman, in Tennessee, apparently, it's illegal for any child to just go out and start walking around. Yeah. So he sends a copper to, to, to go and get her back. Yeah. And so she's walking along the side of the road, and he pulls in. And she said, what do you want? He said, I think you need to be made aware of the law, ma'am, that in Tennessee we take this very seriously. You are coming back with me. No, I'm not. Well, you will, or you'll be arrested. It's mm-hmm. a, they don't mess around over there. And anyway, yeah. this stupid girl, whose mother must be even thicker than she was, you know, these people go on these television programs, behave so badly, and all she wanted to do was drink. And just smoke and everything. She didn't have any response, didn't want to do anything, didn't want to get up. I, I do what I want, she says. And I'm thinking, somebody should have disciplined you when you were a child. Well, a lot of people aren't probably brought up in this country, are well, they? because they've and got that, parents like it. Yeah, exactly. But that show really shows that really well. Oh. And they go to other countries, and they go to stricter countries, they can't believe it. They can't believe that there are rules. They can't yeah. believe that things are enforced. Yeah. They can't believe that things aren't allowed. Normally, their rules for them are just made to be broken and yes. laughed at. Yes, But over there, you know, you, you will get up now. No, I'm staying in bed. You will get up now. Yeah. And and they do it. We were talking, strangely enough, to Jermaine Jackson about this yesterday. Because Michael Jackson's father uh, was supposed to be quite tough. But when you read Jermaine's book, he isn't so much tough, he's just a parent. What he says goes. Did you interview Jermaine Jackson yesterday? Yeah. Did you? Yeah. That's very impressive. Well... Well, no, no, you are very impressive, but that's very impressive. Yeah, a lot of people are. How exciting. What, is that going to be in, uh, in conversation? Yes, yes. I'll look forward to that one. Yes, it's very good. Yeah, He's got a very soft voice, though. Does he? In fact, sometimes I felt like I was shouting at him, but I wasn't really. Quarter past six. News headline, Sam Pittis. Good morning, Steve. At the TUC Congress in London, unions are... Steve Allen. So, do you think, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, a minimum price on alcohol will cut binge drinking and antisocial behaviour? 84850, LBC973 or steve at lbc.co.uk. 19 minutes past six. Nick Ferrari this morning will be discussing from seven Ed Miliband's frosty reception at the TUC Congress and asking if heckling a politician has ever achieved anything. He'll also speak to the chairman of the London Fire Authority, Brian Coleman, about the fire brigade's response to the riots later in the show, asking how inflation rises are affecting you. Have you noticed a hike in your household bills? Are you hunting out the bargains? Perhaps your savings are going down and enduring a pay freeze. All of that and more with Nick Ferrari and the team after the news at 7. Uh, one here that says, I regularly shop at Lidl, now for a family of five. Saves me about 50 quid a week. Pleasure to shop in, as it's not full of loads of stuff I don't want, as most supermarkets are. Yes, I've been to Lidl. You know, it's got meat, fruit, um, you know, biscuits, thing, and you'd, and it's it's cheap. Yeah. It's quite nice quality, though. I mean, I, I, I always imagine, but of course you should remember, it's German, Lidl. Yeah. So it's it's actually very good. And uh, most of it, and it's all the Nescafes, and all, it's all the brands and things. It's not yeah, sort of all yeah. its own ones. Yeah. It's it does have a lot of German things in there. Right. Because a lot of German biscuits. Oh, OK. Stuff like, which I have bought, in, not now, if I don't do biscuits. Uh, Stephen Croydon, he said, I found uh, I need a lot more money to get me through the week. All the odds and ends creep up in price and it adds up. Yeah, well, bills are going up. Yep, everything's going Petrol's up. just ludicrous at the moment. Uh, and the wonderful film, Steve, Edith Cavell with Anna Neagle. And uh, yeah, it's only because I pass the statue every day. Uh, Jim says, never mind teaching benefit tourists English. I thought they had to pass a new Labour citizen test. And Cameron said he won't let them in if they can't speak English. Sums up the politics we're expecting to vote for. It's funny, though. Funny that, that, that the, the uh, little thing you do about Nick's 
portrayal and what he's doing in the show, the Ed Miliband thing being heckled. He do- for me, Ed Miliband doesn't have that star quality. He doesn't look no. to me like a prime minister in waiting, really. No. There's just something that's lacking, that X factor, whatever it is, that some people have and some people don't. Yes. He doesn't seem to me like somebody that's got it, really. No. He, I'm sure he, he's talented and clever and interesting and all that sort of thing. But no, he's not. have that. No, he's certainly not interesting. <laughs> certainly not interesting, I'm afraid. Yeah. Uh, Keith uh, says... Um, uh, where have we got? Oh, I've lost this one here. Sorry, David. Uh, it says, I've had Sky for over ten years, got rid of it three years ago, and haven't missed it at all. I do, however, listen to the wireless and LBC daily. The wireless, David. Good Lord, you must be over 35, I should imagine. <laughs> uh, Peter says, if I remember correctly, didn't Cheryl's mum live at the marital home with Ashley? He was obviously pretty fed up with that arrangement. Do, do you think mum's gone to Afghanistan as well? This is the Daily Mirror sending Cheryl out there because she was eminently available, and she's gone to cheer up the troops. I think that's what they said. What she's going to talk to them about, I've got no idea. I can feel Pride of Britain coming on. You're absolutely right. It is Pride of Britain. There will be a film of... uh, Because she's she's apparently been in in training, and the the training is for... um, So if if she's captured... And I said, to be honest with you, just, just let her sing. (laughs) <laughs> Let us sing. They will give her up immediately. Well, they'll cheer up the troops. Cheryl arriving, I'd have thought. Although John in Wapping says, Cheryl Cole in Afghanistan, as if the troops didn't have enough problems understanding the Afghan people anyway. <laughs> <laughs> They've got her turning up there. Uh, another one here that says, why should the majority be penalised because of a minority on booze? Just another cash cow for the government, says David Eltham. And Jim says, it's good they want to make booze unaffordable to non-addicts. Addicts, of course, will pay any price. Let's do the same with the obese put up the price of food. Gordon Brown saved the planet by increasing full fuel prices. It's the answer, answer to all of life's woes. The price of booze is balmy anyway. I mean, a few years ago, a sort of an average cheap supermarket, sort of Pinot Grigio or whatever, f- between four and six pounds. <laughs> now it's about between about ten and thirteen pounds. Yeah. But then quite often they do a half price thing, so it's back down to four or five pounds. They must be making loads of money because they go, normally it's seven pounds. This week it's five. You think... Gosh, how much money are you making on a bottle? I know. Must be a hit, because I, I buy, strange enough, you mentioned Pinot Grigio, a Canaletto Pinot Grigio, which they sell in Waitrose, and I think there it sells for just under seven. Yeah. I can get it for about three ninety nine a bottle. I'm sorry, £3.24 in Costco. So it shows what the markup is, because they must be making a profit in Costco. They're not a charity. The markup must be huge. But yeah. really cheap sort of looking wine, sort of cheap New World wine. That's, I mean, some supermarkets sell it for about, between about £9 and £13. Pounds. Really? It doesn't look special or like it's good stuff. Yeah. And then quite often it goes down to 4 or £5 pounds in an offer. So as you say, the, the, the markup is hundreds of percent, isn't it? Yes, it must be, yes. But you, but you do see everywhere now, and, and the thing that has crept in, even at Marks and Spencers, where their shelf-stacking policy has gone completely out the window, as far as I'm concerned, you go in there, try and find a salad, you know, all of a sudden there's no salads available, and they've got three-for-two offers everywhere. I don't like three-for-two. I don't want three. No, exactly. That's but, the thing. Two-for-one's two great. Yeah. Three-for-two. Buy one, get one free. Yeah, that's fine. Great. That, that we'll do. Get buy, a, two. buy a pizza, get a free pizza. And also, I don't like, buy three items, get the cheapest item... For free, free. Yes. It's like, well, yeah. what if one of them's 50p? Well, exactly. Well, I always try and buy expensive items. Well, that, that's what they try and get you to yes. do. Yes. But then you're buying more expensive items than you otherwise would. But it, it's, it's kind of cheaper, Marks and Spencers, because now they've got these special offers on. And so they've got a whole sort of rack full of, three, you know, or, or their, their meal deal, which seems quite good value. Well, they do that you dine get... three courses for a tenner sort of thing, well, don't they? I think they? that's quite good value. Well. That is quite good. Yeah. yeah. You that can get a good. trifle and a bottle of wine and everything else for £10. Yeah, that's just for one. Yes, exactly. So, what are you eating today? Well, I don't know. We had to buy two meals. 
Because it, it, it looks enough for me, to be honest with you. Who wants... I mean, a bottle of wine for two people. Who's heard of such a thing? But those... A cheap party. But those little um, ready meals that say they're for two, they're not for two, they're for one. Well, I think that they are supposed to be balanced nutritionally. But to be honest with you, I always buy the family meal. Yeah. Because there is no point in going home and it goes meal for one, and you look at it and think, I don't think so. But the meals for one are the size of those little things you get in aeroplanes. Yes, yes. They're just little... Tiny little things. Yes, they are. I, I don't know who, who balance... Uh, perhaps, perhaps they're little people with no stomachs. Maybe. And they sort of go, we'll just do a little portion of, of this here and we'll do two carrots or something like that. Because I actually... I buy the family meals. Yeah. Because that's, that's a proper meal to me. Yeah. That's what it tastes like. Although when you think back to what, what your mum used to give you... And to be honest with you, I can't remember what my mum cooked during the, the, during the week. Might have been fish fingers and egg and chips and things like that, but no, I can't I remember... We only had the roast on a Sunday. Now, people have roasts every day, don't they? So it's quite normal for somebody to say I'm having a, a roast chicken because they're so cheap, these things. They're very cheap. Almost too cheap. I don't like cheap chicken, I'm afraid. No, Waitrose do some quite nice. Do they? Are, they? are they proper? But the shops, I want to know, A, where it's come from, and is it, you know, like you have gold, gold turkeys and, you know, Norfolk huge badges turkeys and all the rest of it, and then you get the cheap things that don't look as they've eaten for a year. Yeah. And then you get chicken and... I like the oakum chicken that Marks do, but it doesn't appear in all their products. It only appears as when it says oakum chicken, so the rest of it is God knows what. Mm. And chicken is is cheap food now. Bit of a shame. What else you got? Well, quite an interesting story about um, Kate Middleton. Um, So much for the special relationship, it says in the Daily Express, page three. Waspish New York critics have sulkily condemned the Duchess of Cambridge as a follower of fashion, not a trendsetter. She's Mm. stylish, they say, but she's not about setting trends. She's following trends, says Greg Andrew, fashion director at the US department store train Nordstrom. If you take Kate out of the royal family, put her on a street in New York, you wouldn't look at her twice. She's a beautiful woman, but she blends into the crowd, they say. And actually, harsh, but I think that's fair. I think she... She does seem like a very stylish follower of fashion rather than a trendsetter. Yeah, well, she isn't a trendsetter. She isn't really, is no, she? No, 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 well, no. Put it this way, she's, she's a married woman who doesn't have time for doing things like that. Yeah. You never see her out shopping. You don't see any photographs of her out shopping. I reckon she's actually quite, quite simple. Somebody will bring clothes to her now and say, you know, these, these are your outfits for the next season or something like that. But she wouldn't go wandering around Topshop or mix and matching. She's not that sort of person. Not really. She's very beautiful and she's very elegant mm. and she's got a lovely figure. But she looks like she wears lovely people's clothes, as you say, that other people have chosen yeah. for her. You wouldn't sort of... I, don't, I think they're right. I think you're right. You could walk past her on the street and she'd be wearing a pair of jeans and, a, and a, you wouldn't even look at her twice. She'd look like a posh girl from Chelsea, wouldn't yes. she? Yes, yes. Nothing the matter with posh girls from Chelsea, by the way. Certainly not. But uh, it's, it's just that she isn't. Uh, Sheila says, just heard you announce the day to your Christmas show. I'm very upset. It's the Jewish Sabbath. Any chance of another one at, say, Radlett or another North London venue? Uh, we always do. What, what you mean? Because it's a Saturday. Oh. Well, Saturday's yeah. the Jew. We always do them on a Saturday, mm. Sheila. We sure always Sheila can walk there. <laughs> she won't go out on the Sabbath. Advance. But we, we do have... We have lots of Jews. Lots of Jews. Lots of Jews. be very religious to keep the Sabbath in such yeah. a strict way. But she could still walk there, I'm sure. Yes, yeah, she could. around it. It's, it's quite a walk. Well, she could stay local. She's out at Radley. <laughs> She's quite a walk to come she could in. stay in a hotel around the corner. Yes, yeah, she could stay in a hotel. But, uh, no, we do, we, we've always done Saturday. For, for the last couple of years, I'm afraid. Oh, that's a shame. Never mind. Perhaps we'll video it for you. My niece went to Belgium, said Margaret, had to be fluent in Flemish and had three months to get a job and didn't receive any benefits at all. It's a pity England doesn't operate the same policy. I also think anybody coming to this country should either be fluent in English or be compelled to learn the language. No interpreters. Totally agree with you. It's absolutely ridiculous now that you find lawyers, some, somebody isn't given the job because they can't speak English, and they go, ah, but that, that's against their, their sort of upbringing. No, it's just stupid. 
Oh, so angry with the silly lawyers. Uh, if the price of booze goes up, all that will happen is that shoplifting and robbery will rock it, says Malcolm. You're probably not wrong, I'm afraid. Yeah. I see people shoplifting in Iceland. Mm. You know, the uh, the down-and-outs and the ne'er-do-wells in, in Twickenham, which we have a few, go in there, pick up a bottle of wine, walk straight out again. Nobody says a word. Why, why should the staff put themselves at risk? You know, all you've got to do is just keep keep the wine in the right area. Um, another one here. Um, no, reasons for the rock to go deeper than the price. People have no hope for the future and have no direction or community support. That's a bit miserable. That's a bit miserable, there you and, uh, and Terry says, I met a lovely woman from America. I was going to move over there with her, start a new life, but my green card ran out and I was sent home. We've now uh, got to get married and I have to prove that I've got money in my bank for six months or they'll let you in, but she's worth it. That's exactly how it operates. Well, that's exactly how it operates. Exactly. That's ex- very difficult. Sorry, how, how much money do you have? Yeah. OK, how what much money do you have? What qualifications do you have? What are you going to bring to yeah. us? What skills are you bringing? A friend of mine li- lives in the States a lot of the, lot of the time, comes back every so often, and uh, he said the amount of bank things you have to show them how much money you've deposited in their bank over there so that they can see that you can support yourself shame they don't do it here shame they don't do it here my god there's people cheating this country like there's no tomorrow which is a great shame somebody said steve allen for home secretary might not change anything but we'd have a laugh well there you go we have a laugh every morning on lbc 97.3 where the time this morning now is 6 30 There's a story in the paper today about Shelley College, and uh, what they've done is they've banned girls from wearing makeup, and in an effort to, to stop them wearing makeup, they've taken all the mirrors away. So there is a total ban on makeup to stop pupils aged 14 to 16 from crowding into the toilets to attend to their faces. To be quite honest with you, I think absolutely right. You're at school, you take the makeup off. Couldn't care less who you are. Is it a girls' school? Or it a is a girls' school? school. Yes, it's a specialist centre for science. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure if they have um, boys as well. Because sometimes boys put a bit of makeup on, don't they? Certain sorts of boys put a bit of makeup on. Guy but, liner. Guy liner, that's right. And they did try and bring out makeup for boys, but it didn't, didn't They've quite... tried a few times, haven't yeah, they? Yeah, they, they, really they, they, they can't butch it up, I'm afraid, enough. Yeah. It's still makeup. And so they've taken it away. I still get women on the train in the morning who can manage to apply their makeup without even looking in a mirror. Admittedly, all over the seat behind them, but I mean, it's, <laughs> it's an entertainment in itself. How many people put their makeup on on the train? Answer. Thousands. Well, they're in a rush, I, I suppose, aren't they? She does on the bus. I can't bear it. It yes, drives me. I've only got, I can't help looking. They sit there and they take out the huge trunk, which is their makeup, and they start troweling it on. Well, they've been sitting at home over late because they've been listening to you and then Nick, and they're running out the door. Yeah, and then they have to catch up. Well, I don't think they run after these people. There's one up. woman the other day. She, she sat on the train and she gets out what can be described as a picnic. She has a little knife and she's cutting bits of cheese off to put on a roll. I'm thinking, oh. Go home on the train. A full picnic train, is awful. It's just disgusting. When people bring it, take out blocks. No, of no, it's just just a red bread. Cut it open. All that. I mean, that's too much. She cut the bread it? open. She had butter, and she's buttering the bread and cutting little bits of cheese. I'm thinking, what? Are you, or failing that, people open the little Tupperware box and say, "Go away." I mean, this is that's awful. I mean, there's it's one disgusting. thing if you're if you're eating a sam- a ready-made sandwich from somewhere, but I bringing a, that bad bringing enough. ingredients is another thing. Br- exactly. Mind you, I hate people walking down the street reading a book as they're walking. Who are these stupid people? They bump into people. Well, I deliberately try and trip them up. I right. go, oh, sorry. <laughs> you know, which is good. Uh, who, who was the biggest earner in terms of uh, money last year? None other than our very own Reginald Dwight. Oh, really? So Elton John earned £63 million Amazing. last year, which is good. Uh, that's thanks to a world tour which took over £100 million. Mm. Shows how much money there is. And um, it's... Uh, 
Its second place goes to Simon Cowell, who uh, was £57 million. £57 million. Pounds. Yes. I think the next 12 months for Simon Cowell are going to be very, very interesting. It'll be very interesting to see Red and Black's, you know, a big show, big primetime show. I think, it, I think two seasons. I think there'll be a second season, because I think that was the deal from the beginning. Right. Um, Can they not axe it then, or...? Well, I think they bought two seasons, oh, right, as far okay. as I know. But right. I don't know. Um, <coughs> I'm sure they could axe it. Um, and, then, and then in America, X Factor... But on, uh, will that be a big hit? I don't know, because The Voice is a big US show, much bigger than people thought it was going to be, right. and American Idol is huge. And Cowell has been complaining already, saying it's not working, it's not working. Yeah. Now, whether they actually do that to drum up interest in the show yeah, doesn't make knows? any difference to us, well, no, whether it's exactly. a hit in America or not. No, but it'll be very interesting if, if um, you know, the Red and Black and then the X Factor, it'll be very interesting just, just to see what happens to... I mean, he's an incredibly talented guy, yeah, Simon Cowell, yeah. so no doubt he'll turn things around, but, you know, it's a, I think it could be a very challenging time. Yes, I mean, I, I think he, I mean, he has had flops before, there's no doubt about it, but uh, Red or Black, just, as somebody said, two minutes of quality entertainment stretched out for 90 and that's, that's a bad sign of a programme. I mean, people are turning off in their droves because it's just not interesting. Mm. It's, it's just not enough because you know it's all filmed in different sections. It's a very talented team behind it. Yeah. It's just a slight, maybe just a the public format. Just the public didn't, didn't take, to it. take to it. Don't know why. Mm. Uh, Steve, if they want to cut down on binge drinking, why don't they stop handing out alcohol licences to every corner shop that asks? Yes, I agree. I agree. There's far too many places where you can get booze late at night. They're all doing it. Yeah. They're all doing it. And I, myself, probably the same as loads of other people, if you can't get to a supermarket because they're not open, you go to the corner shop Much and you buy a bottle. It's expensive, though, isn't it, in the corner shop? Sometimes. It is, absolutely. Yes, definitely. Some of them look like they've been there for years as well. Some well, I, th- I know, you practically have to dust them off, don't yeah. you? I don't know how long wine lasted. I didn't think it was very long. No. You're not, you're not buying vintage. Stuart, who's a thrifty cabbie, I bet. If you like the food in the £10 dine for two meals, wait until the day after the deal starts and all the food goes down to almost half price. I've never seen that. I've never seen they, they reduce that price again, do they? Do they? I don't know. I've never mm-hmm. seen that. Never have it. It's never on the shelves long enough. I'm afraid. Round our way, it goes uh, very quick. Uh, Roald Dowell's uh, hut. The uh, the the family are trying to get five hundred thousand pounds to save his hut. Fix the shed in the garden where he yes. wrote all the books. It's falling down. Uh-huh. Uh, on on Twitter, they've all been very anti this and going. Well, wait a minute. This family's loaded. Why but, shouldn't they pay for it? Well, it's because Sophie Dahl tweeted that she wanted uh, to raise half a million pounds to. And Twitter, as you say, not sure how to feel about the millionaire supermodel author Sophie Dahl asking me for money for to do up her granddad's shed. Sophie Dahl wants half a million pounds to do rolled writing shed. You're a world-renowned model writer. Check the rest of us have to buy, and um, rest of us have food to buy, and so on. There's a, there's a. But have you been to the Roald Dahl Museum in Great Missenden? No, it's very nice. That's Buckinghamshire, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, quite nicely done. It's down the road from where the family home was, where the, the shed great. was in the garden, and they want to move the hut, I think, to the museum yeah. and reconstruct it. Because they've, they've built a little sort of version of it inside the museum with replicas of what was in the shed. And you can sit in the chair and, and oh. put the thing on, your, on top right. of you. But it's within the context of a bigger room, and I guess they want to recreate the sort of intimacy of the hut, but it's going to cost a lot of money. I have some sympathy with Sophie Dahl. It's not really for her to fork out, in a way. Apparently, they, they, the family have already given a quarter of a million. Yeah. So they're sort of halfway there. But, but you're right. I mean, it's, they are a rich family. Yeah. And and I suppose it could be argued. I, mean, I, I loved the thing the other day. They allowed all the reporters to go in there. And it's exactly as it was when, when he died. His cigarettes there, you know, his, his writing tablet, everything. And so what they'll have to do is photograph it and then measure the distances between everything so that when they dismantle it uh, and then put it in the museum, everything will be exactly as it was before. 
I mean, it's very I, clever. I have to say, I mean, I, Roald Dahl was a massive influence in my childhood. I read all those stories, and they still stay with me, the witches and the, yeah. and, and the fantastic Mr. Fox and all those things. I'm not sure with today's children whether Roald Dahl resonates that powerfully, actually, whether, whether, that's, uh, whether it was more the parents of, the, of, of people mm. that are interested in, the, in, this, in this whole thing. I mean, it's more Harry Potter and, and Jacqueline Wilson and, and lots of other mm. writers now. There's, I'm not sure if Roald Dahl is such an incredibly powerful influence on today's children. Mm. Let's find out. What do you reckon? Would you be happy to donate money to move the shed? Or just sort of leave it where it is and open it up to the public? Mm. Who knows? knows? Well, as we've been discussing this morning, the Prime Minister has announced the latest drive to get people off benefits and into work, telling LBC 97.3 it won't be blown off course by a sluggish economy. On a visit to a work and welfare support centre in Brixton yesterday, Mr Cameron revealed benefit claimants with poor English who turn down work, won't be able to carry on claiming welfare. The new system will allow Job Centre Plus advisors to force people to attend training courses if they think they lack the skills to hold down a job. And the Prime Minister's been telling LBC 97.3's political correspondent Tom Cheel it's part of the government's ambition to make work pay. The work programme is the biggest work back-to-work programme there's been in this country since the 1930s. And what we're doing is saying to everyone who's been stuck on benefits, whether job seekers allowance or incapacity benefit, these organisations will help you uh, get work. What's in it for A4E, a training provider like this? Well, we're going to pay them by results. So the more people they get into work, the more money they get. And crucially, the more people who've really been out of work for a long time and who are very challenged, who maybe been on incapacity benefit for years, they'll get paid seriously money for getting those people back in work. This is a great investment for the taxpayer because it'll mean fewer people unemployed, more people in work, a more productive economy, but it's also a great investment for the people concerned because work gives them a chance of of dignity and a better life. It sounds great in theory. Doesn't it run up against problems when there's no growth in the wider economy, therefore far fewer jobs and less chance of actually these organisations turning a profit? Well, of course, economic circumstances are difficult, but the fact is there are 500,000 new private sector jobs over the last uh, year and even at the moment you know there are half a million vacancies in our economy so there are people uh, without jobs and there are jobs without people and the work program helps to bring those things together the prime minister talking to our political correspondent tom cheel so what do you reckon because the way i see this now is if they're actually going to say right we're actually going to hold your benefits until you've learned english who's paying for the english lessons the answer is we are We'll have to sort of set up all these training centres. And, of course, you know, different people learn at different paces. The older you are, the more difficult it's going to be. So what do you reckon? Good idea? In other words, if you have poor English and you turn down work, no more benefits. Take the benefits away. There's going to be solicitors rubbing their hands with glee on this one, I can see. But uh, that's, that's the way it should be. It gets people off benefits and into work. The other thing they're thinking of doing is making benefits payable monthly. As opposed to weekly, people will have to learn and be paid monthly. And that way they hope that they will actually go out and find some work. But some people, we're in a, we're in a, a benefit culture. People don't want to work. But I think now you have to force people. How many times have you seen people, oh, I can't go, bad back. There was a woman the other day, couldn't possibly work in an office because of dust. And yet happily sort of sits around at home with her vast frame shoving food down her gullet every day. And yet you think to yourself, no, you should be off benefits. Get out there and work. Let's take people off benefits. Provided you're, you're able to do it, then you've, you know, and if you can't do that particular job, we find something you can do. You know, don't just sort of get into this culture and we take people off it. It's as simple as that. Turns out down at this um, traveller site in Essex, the, uh, the local council down there have been paying benefits to people. 
They've been actually paying benefits to people as well. The whole thing is a complete turkey, I'm afraid. So what do you reckon? 84850, steve at uk. Do you think that people with poor English, who then turn down a job, should have their benefits stopped? The welfare will cease. It's a case of, no, we're going to find you a job. You've got to speak English, got to do it properly, and we're not handing out money left, right and centre. And we can stop wasting money on all these interpreters that we're using all over the place. 84850, uk. Uh, you're right about the cost of shopping, says Sue. Uh, it's frightening. As for myself, I stay away from the major chains, find myself increasingly at Aldi and Lidl. Also, Farm Foods, excellent store. Better than Iceland for the price. Also, the market for fruit and veg. Only setback is you've got to travel around and the cost of fuel adds to the shopping trip. My partner and I rarely shop in main stores. So there you go. It's it. Well, it's, it's the bus pass thing, isn't it? Get on the bus. But then you've got to lug all this stuff around with you. So it's not easy. Quarter to seven. News headline, Sam Pittis. Thank you, Steve. A winter of strikes is expected to be announced at the TUC Congress in London, where unions are discussing further action over the government's pension reforms. The new man at the top of the Met Police, Bernard Hogan Howe, has promised to cut crime and costs with humility, transparency and integrity in his mission statement as police commissioner. And the United Nations is visiting the UK's largest illegal traveller settlement in Essex ahead of a planned eviction. Steve Allen. Every 12 minutes to 7, uh, Neil's moved to New Zealand. The price of food, unbelievable. Today, a cucumber, £2.50. Spinach, £3.50. And broccoli, a fiver. So, expensive wherever you go. Uh, Nick Ferrari, just after the news at 7 this morning. He'll be talking about the, uh, the top news stories. Ed Miliband's frosty reception at the TUC Congress and asking if heckling a politician actually achieves anything at all. Looking at the papers today, uh, Phil Dampier, the royal commentator, he'll be going through them. Uh, plus... They'll be uh, asking whether you're hunting out bargains as the price of everything goes through the roof, not just petrol. And uh, he'll be finding out whether or not your savings are going down and uh, whether or not you're enduring a pay freeze. All of that and more with Nick Ferrari and the team after seven. Noreen's off on holiday on Friday. Lucky so oh, Lucky thing. Get lucky you. Cold weather. Exactly. She's packed. She said, never easy for two of us when the kitchen sink has got to go as well. <laughs> <laughs> she does take it. She says, uh, very busy yesterday. Actually, just going back to yesterday, we talked about this this 10-year-old boy uh, who says... Uh, oh, yes, the one that wants to... feels like a girl. That's right, because from an early age he played with dolls, makeup, and dresses. Yes. And uh, so his parents let him play, and and now he, he says, everybody at school accepts I want to be a girl. His last term he was a boy at school, yeah, and this now time he's a... at school he's a girl. Yes. yes. The family don't want to be identified... But to be quite honest, I should imagine everybody in the school knows exactly who it is. And he says here it's a bit difficult because he has to change into his kit in the school's disabled toilet, even though his female friends were happy for him to stay with them. And he has to do PE with the boys. But they have said that he he can be on the girls' team now. Oh, he can be on the girls' team. Yes, he can be on the girls' team now. He says, my friends stick up... Just remember, he's ten. Yeah. He's ten, Okay, And he is physically a boy. It's just that he's dressing as a girl, and he says everybody accepts it. I'm, I'm hasten to add that by the time you get to big school, they won't be accepting it. I'm afraid children, as we know, can be extremely cruel. I don't believe this whole school accepts him one time as a boy, then the next term he comes in dressed as a girl, and they go, right, so you're a girl now, are you? Yeah. But also, it doesn't make it. him... I mean, he, like, from the moment um, uh, this child was born... Um, the child would choose toys and makeup and dresses over boys' stuff. Mm. I mean, so. But does, it, but does that then make you a girl? I mean, do you, ha- you, you, you have girls? Make... I've got two girls, yeah. And do you, do you make them. I mean, can they play with any toys? They can play with anything they want. Right. 
I mean, okay. I wouldn't... I mean, I mean um... What do you think if, if they had boys' toys? So I don't know if this boy is in a family where there are other children, where if, if there's a daughter, he's been playing with dolls. Because I remember ages ago, you know, kids play with different things, shopping trolleys and stuff like that. You, you're not going to butch somebody up by giving them a, a boy's toy. No. On the other hand, you're not going to sort of, you know, dumb them down into thinking they're a girl if they play with a dolly. And it's also, they're se- it doesn't make him gay either, does it? No. Because it's not about sexuality, this. It's just about whether, what he feels... Yes. What, what gender he feels like. Well, or what apparently... Or his parents think he feels like. Because he could be a lesbian. Well, he might. Well, I'd, yes. Well, they're going to give him hormone blocker therapy. He could be a lesbian when trapped he's in 12. a man's body. He could be. But you don't know because he's, he's, he's a boy. No. But either way, he's, he's been diagnosed for two years and he came out to friends as a girl over the summer. I would have thought they'd kind of twig. Would you not think so? Would they not think you're a little bit girly? Or yeah. something like that. But if they're going to give him hormone blocker therapy at 12, the first step to changing gender... I mean, I don't know what age you can change sex now, but I didn't think it was until 18. You've got to go through... I mean, the emotional turmoil itself, I would think, would be absolutely traumatic. Yeah, it does seem very young. There's um, a thing in the, in the, next to the article here, that one in every 100 children is gender-variant in some way. Some grow out of it, but others won't. Well, good grief. Which is why I suppose you want to give a bit of time to pass, just in case he changes his mind and starts to feel like a boy again. Yeah. He said his uh, friends have been very, very accepting of his decision. He's ten. He's using words like very, very accepting. He sounds like quite an exceptional ten-year-old. I've never heard ten-year-olds speak like this. No. And uh, he admitted his decision to dress like a girl and having to wear a boy's uniform in previous years had been very disappointing. He said, I can go back as a girl. It's exciting. Mm. He said, I'm using a little bit of eye makeup. He's ten. Shouldn't be using any makeup at all, I'm afraid. No, not for school. Not, not for school. Uh, 84850. Listening to most of the youth today, Steve, their English is appalling. Does that mean their benefits will stop? Oh, I think so. <laughs> B&Q shed, 99 quid. Why should we pay any more? Let the dolls fund their own <laughs> moving costs. Roll shed. It's a roll doll shed. Thousand. Half a million. <laughs> it is a lot. Stuart says, Steve, let them learn English from a book. Yes, I suppose you could. There's nothing like speaking the language, though, is there? Uh, a job seeker's allowance is just for that, and not speaking the native language is a choice, not a disability. Withholding benefits, Steve, will just make more people turn to crime or plunge them into debt with loan sharks. It's a short-sighted policy for Cameron. Margaret says, I think all people claiming benefits should be obliged to show proof that they're at least looking for work. No, I want them to get work. I want them to actually get a job. Sitting on your bum every day doesn't solve anything at all. Pauline Lee says, my friend settled in Spain and had to pay to learn Spanish. And uh, one here says, my children have loved Roald Dahl, not been replaced by more contemporary authors. Great for seven, eight-year-olds who are just taking off on their own reading. Roald Dahl, a much easier read than Harry Potter, and it doesn't contain the unpleasant contemporary characters who star in Tracy Beaker or Horrid Henry. And uh, David Walliams' books come close, but nothing is as beautiful or imaginably told as Roald Dahl's books. He's a hero of children's literature. Yeah, no, he's a hero of the adults. This is the point. I think he's wonderful. Yeah. And, but I just feel like he's the, he's the author of choice for, from our youth. Right. You know, he's, the, he's the person that we loved when we were kids. And I'm, just, and I'm sure lots of parents are trying to get their kids to like it too. But I'm not sure if he resonates Cause quite. You can, you, because you can almost... Put put your children into that category by bringing home Roald, and if you've got Roald Dahl books, you they read the books they've got at home. I read my parents' books. I mean, for instance, I love Just Will. I love Just William. Oh yes, I yes. loved all those stories, Mrs. Bot, and all that. I love them. But I've been trying to read Estella, my older daughter, Just William, and she sort of thinks it's all right. She doesn't think it's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, she doesn't like it as much as I did when I was. How old age. is she? Six. Have, have you tried her on the um, the um, 
forgotten what the books are called now. The Secret Seven and stuff oh, the like Famous that. Five and the Famous seven. Five. I would need to do that because yeah, they're five. actually really oh, good. I loved Secret Seven and Famous Five. Yeah, Famous Five. Big fan. Big up for them. Actually, talking of. Um, of asylum seekers, and to, to prove what a mess the system is in, nearly 100,000 asylum seekers have been lost by bungling immigration officials. 98,000 cases were among nearly half a million found abandoned in boxes at the Home Office in 2006. Five years later, the officials have finally announced that the backlog has been cleared, but they've admitted that in 98,000 cases they can't find them. They've got no idea. Have you ever heard things so stupid in your entire life? Very quick story. 13 wind farms had to close during the gales. Too much wind. Too much wind. Too much wind. National Grid boffin said the vast North Sea turbines were generating more electricity than the system could cope with. The storms rage across Scotland. The wind needs to calm down a bit for our wind farms to work. Wow. <laughs> so now you know. Now you know. There is such a thing as too much wind. Uh, 84850, Rachel and Scott are listening in France. A place called... I don't know where it is, actually. I've never even heard of it. But it's France. France. I've heard of France. Yeah. Well, that'll narrow it down for everybody this morning. And uh, migrants coming into the UK, says uh, Amit, should be able to read and write the English language up to a reasonable standard and only then be granted a visa for entry into the UK for either work or residency. Yes, I mean, you, it, it just makes more sense, doesn't it, that people should be able to speak English. Mind you, we're, we're terribly uh, bad at speaking other people's languages. Millie says, talk about wine Tesco... Uh, I've seen the same wine at lower price one day, up by £4 the next, and down to the first price next, as a special new price. It's true. They, it's they, they, they do, do yeah. all go all over the place, don't all they? All over the place. I don't, I don't mind that. It's just that I do, get, I do get a bit confused by pricing. And they go, special offer, and you think, no, I'm sure it was cheaper the other week. Yeah. But there you go. Uh, and no Crocs allowed in hospital. These are these rubber oh, shoes. Funny rubber shoes, yeah. Yes. They, they've said here, I mean, a lot of people wear them because they're comfortable, easy to clean, mm. but they've said no in hospitals because it doesn't offer pr- protection from sharp objects. So another, I mean, how many people are wearing them in hospital? I'd love to know, probably more than we imagine, actually. There's a lovely lady in, uh, in Goods, the chemist, in, uh, in Twickenham, and she wears Crocs because, presumably, they're very comfy. So there you go. Jonathan, thank you. Thank you very much. Jonathan uh, Levi's back with us next week at the same time. That's it. Uh, we're off to off to go and have some breakfast this morning. What fancy for breakfast? I could eat toast, but I'm not on toast. I'm going to be blooming scrambled egg. Scrambled egg and bacon on the corner, £11. It's, I've decided it's way too expensive. Not that I mean or, you know, tight in any way, shape or form, but I will be back with you tomorrow morning. Go to the LBC website and you can download the podcast a lot later on today. And uh, you can read the blog and everything else. It's on lbc.co.uk. Have yourself a very nice Wednesday. Look forward to your company tomorrow morning. Uh, You can always send us emails and we can feature those tomorrow for you. Nick and the team with you after the news at 7. First of all, the business update now with Sam Pittis. Thank you, Steve. The FTSE will open after...